Welcome back to the podcast, Tyler Friel, the uh, Fairbanks Tundra Talk host. Um, actually, it's not Fairbanks Tundra Talk, it's uh, Tundra Talk, based out of Fairbanks. Thanks for being back on the show, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always uh, always good to catch up with you. Yeah, there. Um, I like the uh, I like the new the new the rebranding the on step. That's pretty slick. Yeah, I, I kind of got tired of the mediocre thing. It was funny, it was witty, but now with everything else that's going on, it's like okay, that's uh yeah. I'm not advocating for that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was yeah. No, I, I I'm totally with you there. But yeah, man, no, so, I like it. Um, outdoor uh, outdoor life writer. Um, pretty busy with that uh how's all that going and you're you're keeping up with your hunting and everything like that how's how's the how's the fall been yeah it's been it's been good man you know i i i tell people like when i got hired full-time at outdoor life because i've been writing for them for you know like 12 years 12 years or so oh 12 i can't remember 12 or 13 a while and uh just kind of on a freelance contract bait contract basis at times but uh yeah, when I got hired full time, I was thought to my, you know, I thought I didn't know how I would ever be able to come up with enough stuff to fill up a forty-hour work week or more, <laughs> and uh, that has turned out to not be an issue, and yeah. I, it's really cool. I love it, um, but it's it it is busy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of sad that uh, outdoor life is no longer sending out a magazine, but the online just provides so many more opportunities. Like you're not you're not hemmed in by the amount of pages and the ads sold in the, the magazine that just can be whatever. And that's, uh, yep. that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you're not and and frankly, like going digital was the only reason, the only, only thing that, that opened up the possibility for my position. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, I am not a, a trained editor <laughs> and I, and I never wa- wanted to be one. Although I do like, you know, as a staff, we always, um, nothing ever gets published without being edited or mm-hmm. looked at. And, uh, you know, and so I, I, I I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress, <laughs> you know, I, uh, but, uh, I, as for much, as much as I hated English and grammar and stuff in school you know it's 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 treating me pretty well but uh yeah the the digital the digital stuff in some ways sucks but really how many print magazines is the average person buying anyway (laughs) you know and it uh we're just it's really expanded our ability to just i mean you like there's no word count limit you know there's no you don't have to cut important or cool parts of a story to to fill Mm-hmm. you know, to fill a word quota or to fit in a window. Um, so that's, that's been really helpful. It's just been in volume of content. Like we, we put out more content now than ever in print. You know, you might have a couple three gun, big gun reviews a year, maybe for, a, you know, a gun writer. Yeah. Maybe more than that. But see, <laughs> even if you had, even if you had one per month, you know, and I'm working on different gun stories all the time and updating old ones and, mm-hmm. and doing stuff you know kind of just in in the field you know all all summer long i'm going to the range two or three days a week <laughs> yeah yeah that was when I, I subscribed to both uh field and stream and outdoor life and it was pretty easy because it was like 10 bucks a year you know something really yeah. really but then you, you start flipping through it and how do you encapsulate hunting in all of america hunting and fishing in all of america in 
you know, however many 80 pages, 70 pages or whatever. And so it just got, you know, a little Turkey section, which wasn't at all relevant to me, or there was, you know, fishing for crappie or bass or something like that. And I thought, well, I don't know, like Heavey's column at the end of field and stream was super interesting. So for 10 bucks a year, I'll subscribe, you know, just to that or Patrick Commandus. So now it's cool again. Online. Yeah. It's, you can find your stuff pretty easily and, and make that happen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's yeah it's it's been great you know and just kind of like i said i always have i got a, a shelf full of old old outdoor life magazines and it's helpful to have them in hand because when people people claim that things you know that, that you know one thing or another about how things were back in the day and how you know what outdoor life outdoor life apparently if you believe what people tell you like didn't used to write about new gun cartridges and <laughs> You know, it was just a hunting mag. Eh, it was it was a little more than that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I've got sure. I've got the magazines. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on here is to talk about shooting and about uh, and about rifles and kind of and you go into a lot of depth when you talk to is it uh, John Snow? Is that uh, the shooting yep. editor? Yeah. Yep. He's our he's our shooting editor. Um, he was kind of you know, in the line of succession. It was. Uh, uh, there's only been yeah, a handful of shooting editors at Outdoor Life in the more than 100 years. Um, you know, I think the, well, Townsend Whalen was one of the early ones. Uh, Colonel Askins, then Jack O'Connor, then Jim Carmichael. And Carmichael trained Jon Snow, mm. you know, up as the shooting editor. So that's cool. Unless John dies, I I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to be tapped for it anytime yeah. soon. I might have missed my window. Oh. <laughs> well, there's, there's so much knowledge that, that like when you guys were talking on the, on a podcast, you go into some crazy weeds that just kind of beyond your, their normal, um, average hunter who just has a basic knowledge of stuff. And so I kind of wanted to, to talk about that angle and you can go into the weeds a little bit here, but if I am, um, I live in the weeds, man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where the good stuff is. Um, so if, if I'm just an ordinary, uh, average hunter high school uh teacher i have a 270 it's a savage 116 i bought in 2008 something like that and yep. uh if i'm looking at all these new cartridges i'm looking at new rifles and and things like that what would i get if i were to upgrade or anything you know i have some friends with that have the 65 creedmoor and that's really interesting but you know the, the 270 is a hundred year old rifle. Most of my shots are between 200 and or less than 200, 250 yards. A lot of them, especially during rut now, it's like 60 yards or 80 yards. So yeah. I, I, am I going to get much from upgrading? Am I going to notice a difference if I, if I buy a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 6.5 PRC or something like that? Or, I mean, if I like my 270, should I just keep it? I, I would say, I mean, I would think it would be a hard case to argue for not just keeping your 270. Um, you know, the, like in, you, you know, you're hunt if you're hunting primarily for like deers and or deers, I'm retarded. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Deer and black bear, you know, like if you wanted something that was just a little lighter, because depending on the 270, some of them can buck pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not, you know, it's a, it's a, 270 is a is an interesting cartridge and it and it's been around for so long because it was i mean for especially for the time it was made it was i think the flattest shooting 
standard production, standard rifle cartridge, you know, in, you know, that you could buy for a long time. Um, and it's kind of, kind of a magnum itself. Like Jack O'Connor wrote about, they're not, you know, the 270 Winchester burnt, you know, held about as much powder as you could efficiently burn behind that projectile. And, and, uh, and when, I mean, there's, there's a million different ways that I could just tell you that the 270 is just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it depends on what you're what you're looking for and what metric, you know. When you when you ask like which cartridge is better, you kind of have to like go another step and define well by what characteristics and what situations, you know. Because you know if you're if you're doing most of your shooting sub 250 yards, like yeah, you know, like a 6.5 PRC, it will be better in some measurable ways, but it may not like you may not realize that mm -hmm. that betterness right. um six five creed more is going to be close enough that you're not going to notice a big difference except that it's going to be less recoil and mm -hmm. and you can you can kind of factor in you know what ammo is available now because as much as we like like the 270 yeah it's not it's not going to just be booming popular and really anything you never know it's it, i i couldn't pretend to predict what ammo is going to be available and not, especially after the last of the 15 ammo shortages we've been through mm -hmm. in right. our lifetime. Um, Cause sometimes two seventies, like, you know, been always a dependable option. And so, and this last, you know, this last round of shortages, I didn't see a box of two seventy on the shelf for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, um, very popular so they make a lot of it but because so many people have rifles chambered in that it's like there's a lot out there but also a lot of hunters are going to be grabbing those boxes as soon as they're out yeah yep they sure they sure yeah they sure are and it uh yeah so it's kind of you know it's not maybe not a very satisfying answer but i would say <laughs> it's kind of up to you like they're depending on how you you want to cut it you know there are there are measurably better options out there but for most people you know there's nothing wrong you know you can fix it if you want but there's nothing wrong with using mm -hmm. a 270 and it's and it's a perfectly adequate cartridge still yeah and i've i've taken a couple of black bears with it when um uh, my wife and i both got uh, uh mountain goat this year with a 270 and she mine took yep. two shots the first one dropped it and then it got back up and it, it took a couple more steps but uh abby just dropped hers like it staggered for a little bit then it was down and that was just oh that's... you know a good shot from a close distance and again both of those were about were closer than than 100 yards um so yep. you know based on on how we hunt it's just been great i've tried to convince myself a couple of times to upgrade or to you know you get something else but i think well is this really an upgrade or is this a side grade am i going to spend a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars on something that like you said, isn't really a discernible difference. And I could have spent that money doing a fly out or something, well, you know, a third of a fly out, I guess, or something like that. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it, you know, it depends on like, and people sometimes I think get, they get very like emotionally charged. Like if I, you know, if I write a story about what, you know, the, the, you know, perceived or real and real benefits of maybe such and such cartridge versus another, you know, if, if they feel like they're, they need to come defend the honor of their favorite cartridge, <laughs> like I'm not saying it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't work or that, or that on an average basis, there's going to be a discernible like difference, but you know, like there is a difference, like the, the 270 cannot, 
you know, is not a ballistic twin of the six five PRC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it's, but it depends on how deep, how deep you want to go to like really sort out those differences and what's the point at which, um, what's the point at which those differences start to be meaningful to you. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, you know, it's most average, like reasonable hunting that like, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with the 270. I mean, I would be, I would he'd be hypocritical because it's, it's more gun than a six, five Creedmoor. And I kind of like using that cartridge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something, I don't know if it was this latest podcast with uh, John or one of the previous ones, but talked about because the 270 is a hundred year old cartridge that something like the six, five is, modern technology so it's like the best of the 270 but modernized again it's not like just interchangeable but you know why not you know at least think about or entertain something that's taken all those years of of tweaking of of just information putting it into a cartridge that could perform better and if that's something that you're really looking for then maybe consider it but it doesn't mean that it's going to be better just because it's newer no no for sure in a lot of that in a lot of these you know we talk about like modern cartridge design and how it's, it's like you could look at it as a little bit of an evolution of the short mag. Like a lot of the modern cartridges are shorter, fatter. They're designed around like super efficient projectiles. And they, you know, if you were going to go like, you know, someone buying their first rifle, you know, and they're considering 270 or 65 PRC or 65 Creedmoor or, um, I mean, I don't think the six eight westerns ever going to like light the world on fire, but like a cartridge like that, I would say, yeah, you're probably better off to go with with one of these modern cartridge design if you're starting from scratch. You know, I would I don't see a reason to trade unless a person just really wants to, or they you know you like you know you like having more than one gun, or you just it get find like fulfillment out of the the um. I don't know, getting, getting new stuff. Cause we, uh, you know, we all like to get new stuff some, it's, oh, it, on some level. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's kind of a funny and, and tedious thing, but you know, even some of the older cartridges have been made better by modern, modern, um, bullets and modern components. Um, one of the things that, you know, an art kind of, this is kind of a sidebar. One of the arguments that a lot, you hear a lot of people make as well, you know, like, the 270 Winchester versus the 68 the 68 Western, for example, um, say, oh well, it can't do or seven mag versus seven PRC. Well, it can't do any seven PRC can't do anything a seven mag can't do if you get a custom barrel and you know hand load all your ammo and <laughs> it's like, but but a lot of these modern cartridges they're incorporating this just like bump forward in technology and in uh, and uh, you know like chamber dimensions and tolerances they're bumping them forward to where you know absolutely if you're talking fact you know all these things that you could make you could match with a custom you know custom rifle custom ammo this is all like factory factory rifle factory ammo and they're just generally more accurate than a lot of the older cartridges you know like heaven forbid you know someone hear you say that too but it's true it's just true yeah (laughs) What about um, brand? I I was at the range um, uh, June or something. Like I was trying to get as many shots down range in June, just before it starts to sh- a whole bunch of people start to show up there. And yeah. um, guy asked what it was, and I was like, "Oh, it's Savage uh, 116." And he's like, "Oh, 
Well, I like the I like the cart cartridge. So he liked the there was a two seventy, but because uh, he he yeah. had a Tika, you know he was uh, he was far better off than my Savage. And I thought, well, I don't man, this is my my first rifle, and I've bought a couple others since then. But I just like the way the bolt runs. I just like everything about it more, and I don't really care about um, everything else. And it's synthetic stock and stainless barrel yeah. and all that. And my wife has a, a 270 Weatherby, but it doesn't have a stainless barrel. It's like a great mule deer hunting in Wyoming type rifle. Yeah. Um, open open terrain, things like that. The knob on it for the safety gets caught there a couple times. My my um, scope fogged up last year, and so I had to use her rifle. And as I was walking around there a few times, that it caught on branches, and so it went from safe oh. to, to not. And, you know, that's not uh, that's not what you're looking for. No. Um, and then also the bolt can get, you know, get caught on stuff. And so that can open, but the Savage has just that thumb slider, which is a much better mechanism yeah. for that. So, um, outside of those sort of maybe regional choices, how important is brand? I don't think brand, I don't think brand is nearly as important as just finding a rifle that fits you well and that you're comfortable shooting, you know, things like, like having a, you know, having a safety that you, that you like and works well for you. Um, um, it's just so, there's, there's so many good rifles out there that it, um, you know, like just your personal taste and what works for you is definitely going to be most important. And like the Tikas, it's, it's an interesting one because they're so, they're so popular and they're like kind of, they're a little bit above what you'd consider a budget rifle but they're kind of like a poor man's nice rifle. If that makes sense. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and they're nice. They're nice rifles. They're, they're well-made. They got a good reputation. Um, they're generally pretty accurate. I, although like my fairly limited testing, you know, I had one in 308 that wasn't nearly accurate as everybody told me it was going to be or claimed, claimed they were, um, it, it shot well, but, uh, yeah, brand, you know, in, any brand can have, have really good rifles and bad rifles. You know, there's even within just Savage, like there's some Savage rifles I really like and some that, some that I really don't care for. And some that are like extreme, well, one in particular is extremely accurate, but also incredibly frustrating. Which <laughs> so, one is that? You know, it was, uh, it's just their 110 carbon predator. I, mm. I had got it initially to do, you know, some of this, a big ammo test for uh 5.56 and 223 and uh just at least whether it's that particular rifle or the combination of that rifle and the the action the magazine they use the thing just doesn't run like i get a lot of like bolt stoppages um Mm. you know so it doesn't always it doesn't always feed real well but man that's like one of the most accurate rifles i've shot and it's not a cheap rifle but it's it's I mean, I was like, you know, yeah, just a mind-blowingly accurate rifle, you know, <laughs> shooting like, I think I shot a, I, I, I shot a lot of different types of ammo well, and it, I shot one just for kicks. I shot a 30-shot group um, that I have, I happen to have a target still, 30-shot group at 100 yards, um, 0.712 inches. Mm. <laughs> You know, which is which is <laughs> pretty incredible, but uh, yeah, no, I mean that's that's a lot. I do everything in like the long-winded roundabout way. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, like I I think you know having 
having a rifle that shoots well enough for you to do what you need to do and one that you don't mind carrying around it's mm-hmm. comfortable for you to shoot like that that's what's really important yeah so i Taking taking this to the next two questions, they're kind of inter, interchangeable, I guess, or, or two topics. Ammo in groups. You've shot well, over eighteen thousand rounds. Uh, is that uh, what you've got so far this year? Yeah, that's that's. I'm I'm maybe a little shy of that, but that's probably. That, I think that's about what I'm going to finish at. <laughs> so that's <laughs> uh, you, you're spending some time at the range there. So um, again, I to... literally like broke my hand this spring <laughs> shooting, shooting pistols, pistols too much. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so it's dedication to the craft, both of shooting and to the writing, right? It's the sacrifice. Yep. Yep. So how important is matching ammo to the rifle? Again, if I'm looking at some sort of a new thing, let's say I decide on a new 270 or I decide on a, on a six, five, um, how important is matching the ammo with the rifle? Um, when people talk about, um, rifles liking certain ammunition better than others. Uh, how do you find that out? Maybe that's the first topic. And then we'll go into three shot groups versus five versus the guy who shows up for the first time since last November and just shoots one shot and that's it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so to figure out how accurately a rifle shoots or to figure out which, you know, ammo, ammo goes best with it. You, you need to, be it, you know, it, a lot of times the human is kind of the weakest link and, and it's not always like you, there are, you know, there's plenty of times when, when you can be more accurate than your rifle is with, with a given ammo combination. Um, Cause I've, I've seen it many, many times, but um, the most important thing is, is setting yourself up for success, like in building a stable position at the range. I mean, you go to the range here in Fairbanks, I'm sure it's like universally worldwide, you know, you got people showing up with their brand new rifle, like resting it on like a. I saw a roll of t- of um, paper towels mm. this year once. You know, I have seen all manner of stuff that just well, you're shortchanging yourself by not setting yourself up with with good rest, so you can make really good consistent shots. Um, you know, like if you have access to a shooting range with good stable benches, that's one thing, you know, or it could be just shooting prone off of, we do that at our gun test. We, all our groups, we shoot prone off of, off of bipods. Mm. Um, so, you know, it could be a bipod, but you want the, like, if I could distill it down into two things, you want a really good front support bag for, or, or front support bipod or bag for the rifle and a rear support under the stock, like usually like a smaller, a smaller sandbag or stuff, you know, sock stuffed with, um, you know, sand or, or whatever, whatever it may be. So like one of, one of the ones I've made had like airsoft BBs. It wasn't the best, but, uh, it's really, it's really worth it in the long run to, to like buy or borrow just a good heavy set of shooting bags. Um, because if you can't if you can't be consistent, then you're never gonna like find how consistent your rifle right. is. Um, and and you know you go you go with her. Uh, think, try to think how in depth. I mean, basically, you just go <laughs> and you shoot. Do you shoot different? I could get re- like really in the weeds, but you just go. You know, you go with set up a stable position and shoot groups with different types of ammo. It's how it's how I go about. And then I can kind of as you compare different types of ammo. You know, you, you, if you're assuming you're, you're shooting consistent, stable shots, like you're going to see a difference in, in which, which 
which ammo your gun likes. Cause you could have, you could have, you know, four different identical barrels and all four of them prefer different bullets or different velocities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no, there's no like one, one, uh, one size fits all, but you also have to keep in mind that, that, uh, you know, what your needs are for it, you know, cause right. there, there is a good enough, you know, a good enough for government work type of <laughs> thing when it comes to, you know, if you, if you're going to like, you know, if it would be much more convenient for you to use the little bit cheaper ammo, you know, and it shoots totally adequately to, to hit a deer or moose or caribou, um, you know, within, you know, to shoot them cleanly at the ranges you're going to hunt at, then, then there's nothing, nothing wrong with going for that. But relatively speaking, if you compare different, your rifle with different loads, you, you know, you will see a difference yeah. in accuracy. I was shooting kind of the, I think it was the Remington core locked, which is, it was the cheapest. And I, yep. I just figured that everything that was going to, <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be like any, any time that I was kind of spraying it around, I just figured it was me. And so, which on the one hand is good when you're starting off because then it's like, okay, this is something that I can fix because if it's my fault, then I can fix it. Yep. If I blame everything else, then, oh, it's just the bad ammo, this, that, when it's actually a fundamental type thing or it's, you know, something wrong with, with how I'm doing it. Yep. Um, a buddy of mine recommended, um, it was a Hornady, I think it was the interlocked white tail. I think it was the first time I shot that. Yep. And I was like, oh, this is nice. It was a night, there was a the bedded four point. It was my first ever four point. And shot it right through the neck. I was like, man, this, this ammo is amazing. This is so good. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it could have been self-fulfilling prophecy in addition to, you know, good, uh, good ammo. But after you yep. shoot more, you start to think, okay, I, I got some fundamentals figured out here. And so I can maybe tell the difference between that Remington, um, core locked or a, a federal fusion or something like that. When I do go to the range and I'm testing these things, what's the the three shot group versus a five shot group benefit. And then as far as time, I should wait in between if I'm not taking four rifles there and cycling through. So the barrel can get uh, cool again. Like how can I effectively shoot groups? What's the benefit of the three versus five? Yeah. And, uh, I had something to say on the Remington core locked ones. Um, you guys like those, you and John were both big fans. Well, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I will say, like, they're, I will say their core lock tipped ammo. I've had like mixed results where it's, it's some of the more, it's, it's definitely more accurate than the, than the core lock. And the core lock stuff, it is what it is. Like, it's, it's a more primitive bullet that, um, typically is just not that accurate. Um, those, those, that ammo usually isn't. But, um, and I had something else there that was like really smart, but I forgot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and maybe, you know, if I, if I can always like roll back into it, if I, if I, if it occurs to me, but the, uh, the answer to your question, I, we, you know, in, in three shot groups and group size and accuracy is always kind of, it's one of these subjects that like everybody talks about, but nobody, nobody is talking about the same thing. Mm. <laughs> um, and I'll, uh, it did occur to me and I just forgot it again. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really slipping today. Um, it's, uh, good Lord. What was I going to say? So I'll just keep going then. Go for um, it. so, you know, the, if you, if you really, the, 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 the crux of any of it, if you really want to know 
like the true average accuracy of your gun with a given load. Like you need, you need a volume of data. Um, cause what, and, and Hornady actually has some really good podcasts on this. That's just kind of, you know, it's not really groundbreaking info, but a lot of people don't, you know, I just never heard it explained like this. Um, you know, there's a thing called this, your, the way your rifle shoots or say, if you're going to have a hundred shots through your rifle, what they call the, the, the pattern that it, that it's, that it shoots is called the dispersion. So, and it's like a circle that's going to gradually get filled up. That whole dispersion is gradually going to get filled up with bullets. Um, you know, it's going to be tightest at the center of that, of your zero, where your zero is at. And then that dispersion circle is going to slowly get filled up. Like the, like the, the, the 30 shot group I, I shot out of that rifle that was really accurate is basically, it was really telling to watch that develop because it ends up basically as a circle of one just hole in the paper. And, you know, and you can see the out, the outlines of edges of different bullet holes. So traditionally hunters like, and me, me too, you know, like that's what I always did out of hunting rifles will shoot three shot groups to get a feel for how their rifle likes a certain load. And we'll use it for comparing loads and, and hand loading. But when you, you and, it, and it's not a bad thing, you know, a three shot group can tell you <clears throat> maybe what your rifle is capable of, but it doesn't necessarily tell you the whole story. You know, if you shoot a bunch of three shot groups, it does tell you a more accurate story. And maybe that's, perfectly sufficient for anyone shooting a hunting rifle and some really lightweight hunting rifles the heat does start to affect them after after like you know at shot four and five for it you know our our gun testing protocol outdoor life and it's one of the things john's like really helped me in my understanding and we it's just so we do things the same way um, we use five shot groups, which are just, it's just a little bit more data and it's a little bit more strenuous and it creates more space between what might seem like otherwise, um, equal loads or equal, you know, equal rifles. If that, if that, if all this is making sense for mm-hmm. you, um, so it's, it's not like that you would have to do five shot groups. I, when I get st- prickly on accuracy if someone you know it's it's very common i've done this in the past you know i'll go and i'll shoot and uh you know and the, this is what i was going to say earlier so you know when you say oh it's got to be me one of the things that that i got to credit john with for for teaching me and kind of pounding in me is don't make excuses for the rifle mm-hmm. like yeah the group is what the group is what it the gun shoots the way it shoots and you know, sure, unless you know you you shanked it, like you just take the data for what it is. It's like the scientific way. And if you, as you accumulate more data, if you shoot a lot of groups and you maybe like in our, in our like big gun evaluations, we'll take like the top 10 groups as a good representative of that rifle's potential because that's automatically going to filter out like pulled shot, groups with pulled shots and um, you know, human error. Uh, so, and even that's not completely saying that that is what that rifle average is, but it's a good representation of its capability. Mm-hmm. Um, so am I just like totally off swimming? No, no, that's again? great. Cause I think again, <laughs> um, the, the, the perspective I kind of want to bring here is, 
I, I have some former students who have asked me about, you know, what, uh, what rifle do you have? And you know, I'm thinking about getting this cause they're using their grandpa's old rifle or this or that. So it's like their first rifle. And yeah. Yeah, I'm like, well, you know, just get something that you like. You don't have to spend a whole bunch of money on a, on a Christensen or something like that. And if you go to the range and the first two shots out of it, aren't great, you know, that doesn't mean that that's where it's going to be. And also on, on the flip side of that, it might shoot, you know, so accurate out of the box, but those are just the first two shots. And as you, yep. you know, you get everything else in there. So, you know, be on the look, look out for that. And, um, so yeah, I think these answering a lot of these questions and things to kind of consider. So yeah, I, I think you're good. Yeah. And coming, you know, coming from a guy like my, my first hunting rifle, I saved up as a, like, about the cheapest rifle you could imagine a Remington model 710 that I just saved up for when I was 15. And I mean, I kill, I killed a lot of stuff. Shoot. I killed a caribou just for kicks. I killed a caribou a couple of years ago with it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one, it's about the ugliest rifle I own, but I won't ever get rid of it. Yeah. But it, uh, yeah, it, it, I think, you know, we, and I would always, if I'd go to the range and, you know, like the first group is just like the first three shots as a screamer, or I have like one off, I'm like, oh, that's got to be me. This is, this is how the rifle really shoots. And I, I mean, I see that still in a lot of rifles I test, you know, you'll have a really tight group and that's, that's the one we take a picture of and put on Instagram and like <laughs> brag about, brag about like, this is what our rifle does when really it's not you know, it sets us up for disappointment and frustration if we if suddenly find it doing things that we don't expect or, you know, it shoots a really tight, you know, I, I did, I can't remember. I think it was a 350 legend, maybe not too long ago. I was accuracy testing and, you know, like the first group was pretty damn good. And the second group was just phenomenal. And then it opened way up and then tightened back down. And then like, it was like five groups that none of them were bad but it is just like you know you could be like wondering what's going on or what what am i doing wrong if if your rifle's not doing what you want and uh there's human error but mm -hmm. if you can do what you can to minimize and just like take larger sample sizes and be a little bit more patient um it, you end up saving money in the long run because that's what it boils down to for a lot of people too is ammo is freaking expensive right you know i'm in a kind of a fortunate fortunate place where that's a lot of times not a factor for me so like I, i'm not limited by what the ammo costs to just pour lead down range and, and accumulate data but you know when you've got the choice between you know when you're trying you know you you save up for your rifle and you buy you know you're trying to decide which ammo to shoot and you know maybe you buy a box of two different kinds it's like just take your time and and I would even just shoot, uh, you know, shoot like a couple Fowlers and then maybe just shoot the entire box of, of each ammo, like give in increments, letting, you know, maybe like three to five round groups all shooting at the same spot just to see what that total, mm -hmm. that total dispersion is going to be. Um, cause if you're buying two different types of ammo, you might as well shoot all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you're going to be, you're going to have some leftovers to, to really know like maybe what you want to do. And there's different ways to do this. Like, don't, you don't have to like totally follow what I'm saying. Cause half of what I'm saying, I'm making <laughs> up as I go, but it's, but if it's making sense that like patient, like accumulation of data can save you money in the long, you know, and it's like guys working up hand loads, like you can waste so much time and gunpowder and primers and, and, you know, 
chasing something when really an issue it's an issue you could have figured out like if you just took some time to shoot more more ammo right at the very beginning um and group like the the cooling time like i like to shoot five shot groups pretty much with any rifle some rifles get really hot and it's just gonna i, I like to let them cool down at least to where between groups at least to where um it doesn't feel very hot like the, the butt around the chamber and whatnot, you know, you can get little, uh, little chamber fans to blow air down them. What I've done, what I've done at time when it's hot out at the range in the summer and I've got like a, like a, a paper straw barreled, like cheap rifle that's just screaming hot. And, and I've, and I've learned the hard way of like chasing a hot, a really hot barrel, on some of those it just nothing good happens so I'll, I'll put it in my truck with the ac on like the action open blowing on it just to take a little bit of extra time to make sure it gets cool um even sometimes if you could put it in the shade if you I've, it seems like they cool down more quickly if you can lean them up with a chamber open so that you get like kind of a chimney sort mm. of drafting pulling right. air up through the up through the chain through the chamber and out the muzzle um but yeah, that's that. That is the biggest thing. You do, you do, you know, you shoot, you can shoot reasonable groups, but it does. It's usually wise to let your let your barrel cool down, you know, between three or five shot groups, um, just because some right some rifles real really will start to do wonky stuff. And if you got a rifle that's wandering out outside of its like normal <laughs> normal parameters, like you're just you're just wasting ammo and yeah. time. Yeah, I think that um, that the application thing is so stinking important, and that's if if you buy one of those really expensive rifles and really expensive ammo to to find out what the rifle can do, that's cool. You know, you spend spend all that extra money, but if if the the application is going to be just sixty five, eighty five yard shots in the in the rut in muskegs, and then the the occasional alpine hunt, then like you don't necessarily need that. If you want that, then go for it. But yep. you know, really, it doesn't doesn't matter a whole lot. And that's one of the things that when I was talking myself into buying something else, I thought, all right, well, when it comes to Alpine deer, when it comes to Alpine mountain goat, I got, I got plenty of, of rifle with my 270, but I have to pick it right. I have to make sure that I make a good shot. Cause I don't want a mountain goat going off the cliff. I don't want a deer going off a cliff. And so do I have a yeah. rifle that can do that? And if I do, then that's great. I'm going to spend that money on a new sleeping bag or a, a hot tent or something like that. Yeah. And frankly, like mountain goats, especially are kind of a wild card, you know, as you know, like. I, the first one I ever shot was with my 375 and I still had to shoot the thing twice. <laughs> like it was, uh, you know, they, you know, sometimes they just, you can't. And, and a lot of people in their caliber selection get really wrapped up in like what they expect the, the animal to do when they shoot them. When there's, there's just like a certain unknown and wild card in that. Like you have to, the best you can do is just make a good, like a good killing shot on. Yeah. Like what they, what they do is going to be up to them. And there's only so much, you know, there's only so much you can, you can really do, but yeah, like something like a 270 is just is an excellent gun. Like I, you know, you get, you get good bullets. I, I would, I would shoot a brown bear with them without mm -hmm. much hesitation, without much thought or hesitation. Yeah. Um, when my wife and I were going on the uh, mountain goat hunt, I'd said, 
you know, previous mountain goat hunts I'd been on that, uh, buddy needed, you know, three shots with a 300 win mag. So I just said, Hey, just be prepared to, to use all three, you know, sometimes yep. it'll just drop and get back up. And so as she was, she was getting in the crosshairs and I didn't want to like make her nervous or anything, but I just wanted to remind her, I guess. And so I just said, be prepared to use all three in the calmest sort of, you know, don't yep. get frantic because there was, there was a mule deer situation where, I apparently was so excited for her to shoot this nice mule deer that I almost made her panic. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I just need yeah. you to be calm right now. I was like, sorry, sorry. And she made a great yeah. shot on it. So I have total faith in her shooting. So I was as calm as possible. I said, be ready for all three. But she just hit it right in the heart, and the thing just kind of reared nice. up and then fell. I was like, all right, there you go. Uh, mine, of course, that's took awesome. two. <laughs> but, yeah, she she, she smoked <laughs> it. It was awesome. Um, oh, that's awesome. That reminds me of my buddy Frank's you know, story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like him getting wound up when, when his girlfriend was shooting shooting her sheep, you know, it's like you got to shoot again, shoot it again, stop yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's one of the areas in which uh, I've I've improved. I think uh, as as a husband is the uh, not getting so excited um, in that, or just uh, staying excited, but um, channeling it or or filtering it or whatever needs to happen so that the the focus can remain and I don't get uh, overly excited. Yep. Yep. For sure. <laughs> so you guys had a pretty good year. You and Frank doubled on, uh, on sheep. And then, yep. um, that's the first time in a couple of years, right? Do you typically go or how many years have you gotten sheep and then got caribou, then got moose? That's kind of a iconic Alaska trifecta. Yeah. I didn't get, I didn't care. I didn't go caribou hunting at all this year, but, um, it had been, uh, it'd been two years since we got, got sheep. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, normally, yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of odd. I'd gone there a, a year here and there, but it hadn't been like two, it hadn't been two ever. I don't think ever had I gone two years and not gotten a sheep. And so that, yeah, that was nice. And ironically, like the last, the last three times Frank and I have shot sheep, we've doubled, like shot two rams out of the same band. Hmm. Um, this time we, we each had our own rifles, but which was pretty good. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we did that and, and, uh, and Frank kind of, you know, moose camp was great. It, uh, it was, man, it maybe seemed a little slow, but like, you know, it was, we still, we still had chances at two bulls and Frank ultimately passed, passed on a little one that, you know, we still had a few days left on hunt and yeah, it just didn't, just didn't work out. For a bigger one this year but uh no it was it was a good a good time um and yeah i didn't even didn't even make it out caribou hunting yet and probably won't at this rate <laughs> i'm going <laughs> i'm going i'm going deer hunting in kansas oh, here nice. in a few weeks so that'll be fun yeah it's nice to get out of the state if if you have good opportunities i really enjoyed the mule deer hunting just because it was like it was really cold um, yeah, I, it was maybe three years ago now that, uh, that my wife and I went, but it's so nice to, when the sun comes up, if there was any snow, it's going to melt away and you can get dry and you can be warm and you can walk up these hills. I remember, um, yeah. we were going to go up and over this hill and I was like, man, this is pretty steep. I was just looking at it on, on X and I thought, oh, these contours are 25 feet. They're not a hundred like they are down here. This is no oh. sweat. This is so <laughs> easy. But well, yeah, just so different. The, you can see yeah. out of the out of the woods. Man, it's 
It's nice. And the and the dry ground. Like I I was uh, recently flying into I flew down to Montana last week actually, and uh, flying in there, I'm looking down. I'm like, man, you could walk everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when we were uh, up on that caribou hunt uh, in September, there was a spot that like, we were going to go to get picked up, and I thought, okay, there's a little bit of a trail here, so let's just stay on this thing and go. But it led right to this just swampy moose area, and I thought, oh my gosh, we can't slog through this. But you can't tell anything by on X. You just assume that yeah. okay, this maybe looks like it's a little bit higher, but you have these stupid bench troughs of just water, and then. And then when you get up a little bit higher, you can't find any water. So you have to find some sort of spring and that's yep. super annoying. So like you, you get water when you don't want it and uh, it's just a huge pain. But yeah, the down south there, you, you're not going to have any water except where it's going to be in the creek. You know exactly where it is. There's probably going to be a lot of cow manure in it. So you probably want to filter it or boil it or something like that. But it's a nice change of pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So it's uh, – and I, I hadn't really – done much hunting you know out of alaska till i mean since i was a kid till you know a few years ago and through it's through work you know but it's kind of a i don't know kind of a fun the they're the media hunts i've had the chance to go on or just kind of a fun way to go like see more of the see more of the country and it's a lot i find it's a lot lower stress for me than my my own hunts that i'm kind of like yeah i kind of need to shoot a moose this year or just, you know, the amount of effort and organization you're putting into going sheep hunting. And, you know, some people are like, you know, some people feel on, on these type of hunts, it seems like some people like feel the need to shoot the first thing they can just because they're there where I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I feel less pressure because, you know, this isn't my normal, my normal shtick, you know, it's not my normal thing that i that i'm doing and had to organize so you know kind of like like hunting deer in alberta or that elk hunting i went on i got to go on in new mexico this kind of was able to, i feel like i was able to enjoy it a lot more and just yeah. the process and and be a little bit picky yeah you know there's kind of that desperation that comes along with it. If you finally draw the tag, you, you know, you have your 16 points or whatever. So you finally draw yeah. it and now this is it. And because of point yeah. creep or whatever, this is the one shot I have. I'm never going to draw this tag again. So I have to make it happen. And you want to, you want a good bull or a good buck or whatever it is. And you know, it's, it's nice to not, like I still, when I was down, I wanted a, a nice buck and, and, and shot one ended up being pretty small for a mule deer. Cause my frame of reference is all jacked up, but yeah, you know, super, <laughs> like, super this is the happy. Biggest black deal I've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, this is yeah. like a, it's a two year old where, I mean, this is a, a total masher, um, black tail, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to do that. And it's fun to not have that pressure. But if you're, when I, when I, uh, hunted in California for two years, it's a three week season. And so you have these people like just desperate to make it happen, but you also have this, it's deer camp. So I remember going out yeah. there and every every river road I, I try to get away from people but just couldn't and every corner there's another you know a cooler full of of half opened you know or, or there's a beer um on yeah. top of the cooler just it, it, everywhere like there's beers everywhere yeah. and i thought okay this is not hunting this is not safe maybe it's <laughs> well, hunting i don't whoa, know whoa, what's whoa, going whoa. on here <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we'll talk about moose camp but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think that's yeah. that's the thing too like when you have um tons of people around like you know every oh, every yeah. 
you know, 50 yards, 100 yards, it seems like there's another little camp there. And you have people that are just like drinking throughout the entire oh, day. Day and drinking, yeah. And it's California. And you think, oh boy, this could be a little bit crazy. But yeah, the 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 Moose Camp program is something I'm super intrigued about. Kind of done the Hall Road, done some of these other cool hunts. But that Moose Camp is something I haven't experienced. And it looks like, it looks pretty sweet. But you just got to have it, a lot of toys to get in there. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's it's a, <laughs> but it is a lot. It is a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a lot of effort to get all that stuff. I mean, yeah, it takes it takes us like, I mean, we maybe had like three and a half days, you know, of like pre pre work and hauling stuff before you ever go into hunt. Mm-hmm. And um, then you, it's like a what seven ten day minimum that uh, that you that you go out there. Yeah, we, we pretty much always like plan on 10 days and I think we stayed like a day extra this, this time the year before we stayed, we can, we, we usually plenty of, we usually have plenty of food and food and beer for like a couple extra days if we need to. Um, but yeah, I think we've, yeah, sometimes we've like killed two bulls in about seven or eight days. And so, yeah, like last year, you know, we, we had a couple opportunities, but um, we ended up not getting anything and staying in there till like the end of the season, but, um, it's just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to not have to, like, I like the Alpine. I like getting up there. I like doing the hike. I love all that stuff, but man, yep. there's really something to be said for not having to be rushed. And now that we got, we got one of those seek outside hot tents. So those stinking dark, well, I shouldn't say like dark down here is not anything compared to your dark up there, but when the sun's setting at, you know, 430 and yeah. you got a lot of time in the tent when you can stay warm when you can stand up you know it's uh super nice to just have a chill relaxed comfortable camp it does not everything has to be hardcore badass minimalist yeah no that's uh that and having yeah having just a hot tent man it makes things so nice just elevates your comfort level yeah. <laughs> tremendously in it you know as much as anything like you know, we joke about how how comfortable we make our moose camp and it is pretty comfortable but really it lets us hunt pretty diligently you know pretty much i mean we you know you're getting you don't have there's a lot of daylight so you're getting you know, you're getting up at five o'clock every morning and walking a mile a mile down to where you're calling and calling for hours and then being able to go back and make a big hot breakfast to take a nap before you go you know with a wood stove before you before you go back down to hunt till it's dark again and uh you know then come back drink crack a couple beers and heat up some food and you you know it's 11 o'clock by the time you're crawling crawling in your sleeping bag you know just having having that wood stove and and a few amenities to where you can get quality sleep and quality rest like during the day to catch up um yeah it it makes it so much so much easier to put up with the with the, you know, the, the boredom and the, the just constant effort you have to put out to, to call one in. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to have fun. It doesn't, not everything has to be an unnecessary suck fest. That is (laughs) speaking of like lower 48 hunts. Um, it always seems like, like the Michigan white tailed deer camp. It seems like that's kind of the area where people have just these great experiences at a cabin or a shack or whatever. And the family, you get invited to it and it's, it seems like it's a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. 
Yeah, for sure. So what uh, what do you got for the winter? Uh, not a whole lot, man. I uh, said just going to Kansas here here before too long, and you know, hopefully, hopefully get another white tail. And uh, that's pretty much it. I'm just gonna try to take the kids ice fishing a bunch, and um, I got I've got plenty of work to do. I kind of switch into handgun mode a lot during mm. the winter because I can just shoot them indoors and and uh dump a bunch of rounds down range but yeah i mean it's work you know work work never slows down i gotta already starting to prep for i i don't have to go to very many trade shows thank god but um <laughs> you know i've got to go to you know I, I have to go to shot show and then it'll be you know it's i'm already starting to compile stuff and keep an eye out press releases new guns for our annual gun test in the spring and uh yeah, you know, it's I kind of I've been since my kids have been small, I haven't been out trapping much. And I mean, well, for cats are down right now anyway. But, uh, you know, like a part of me, I'll, I'll get back into the trapping here one of these days. But I, I am not going to have any problems staying busy. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It, you have to have something to, to get through the winters. And I imagine it's that much more important up there because you have less daylight. But if you don't have something to get you through the winters, then I mean, it it. it it sucks pretty good to, to live up here. So I have to have some hobbies. Oh yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine just sitting around being bored, like hating life because it's dark. Yeah. You know, at least if, if anything, I, I like being as busy as I am because it, it just makes things, it makes things go very, very quickly, sometimes too quickly. Yeah. Harrison talks about how he could never live down here because it's, it's gray and it rains so much. So we'll have like today at, at like sixth hour, uh, it was, 2:30, and it looked like it was about ready to have you know be sunset because it was so yeah. dark and it was the the clouds were so dense and it was raining and it was just miserable so yeah you guys at least get to see the blue sky and there's sun there's no heat but at least you get to see yeah. the blue sky and sun so i it, it's your trade-offs it's uh i guess it's in some ways pick your poison but also the benefits of living up here is it's definitely worth it Oh yeah. Yeah. Where, wherever you're at, you know, that's like, no, there's no free lunch. You, know, you got to put up with, you got to put up with some kind of BS to, to, you know, enjoy, reap the benefits. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, let's say it's don't have any, any crazy plans going into winter, but, um, I'm sure it's gonna, it's gonna go quick again. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, Tundra Talk is the podcast available everywhere. Uh, Outdoor Life is the uh, the website with uh, uh, Tyler's stuff on there. Where can people uh, buy a, a new Tundra Talk hoodie? And what do you got coming out with that? Well, it's uh, much to the the yeah the uh, the ado of or the woes of people like one one hoodies. I've been slacking for a long while on getting on just getting a new batch ordered i do have a batch of uh of the uh the green bunny boot hoodies in the works and uh you can thank steve ranella for that but (laughs) (laughs) that's a story that's a story for for later but um yeah i'm gonna i'm you know part of my you know not being out stomping around the woods you know i'm gonna try to get back on having a fairly regular regimen of of uh cool goods to to tundra talk goods to have you know, to buy and whatnot i don't i don't ever want to <laughs> i don't want to run a store so i don't ever want to yeah. have a big inventory but uh you know like you know I'll, I'll as long as keep people keep wanting them i'll keep i'll keep ordering them and having them made it's been fun and 
it's how I buy it. It's like it's how I buy half of my clothes. I just get these bulk <laughs> orders and then keep keep like three for myself, and that's yeah. what I wear. There you go. Keep it simple. Cool, man. Yep. Thanks. Uh, I was good to talk to you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jeff. See ya.